Oh, baby. The Nets go into Denver to face Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets, and they have no problem. It gets close at the end. That's all right, because the Nets pull off one of the biggest wins they've had all season, won five of their last six games, really, really hold off a late-game push by Denver that looked like it was going to switch this thing over into the L column, but it didn't. Exciting game, exciting win. We're going to break it all down. But first, the theme music. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Doug Norrie, owner and operator, DFSR.com. If you need projections for FanDuel or DraftKings, go check out DFSR.com. want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks first-time users. You can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked on, and we set it to start, and we'll just say it again. Oh, baby. The Brooklyn Nets go into Denver Sunday afternoon, 3.30 Eastern game. Maybe you're feeling a little bit of that daylight savings time thing on you. You're not ready for a Sunday afternoon game. You know they're going in and facing the team with the now the second no, now the second best record in the NBA in the Denver Nuggets, the odds-on favorite for MVP and Nikola Jokic. The mile-high air, the thinning atmosphere, a game that easily, easily, easily could have gone not the Nets' way, and they pull out a 122-120 victory. And this is, frankly, one of the best wins of the year. No other way around it. It's not hyperbole. The Nets pull off a massive, massive win in a game that by the time you hit halftime, you probably are thinking, ooh, what's happening here with this team? Are they going to be – are they – are they running out of gas? Are they just is Denver going to be too much? Is Jokic just going to be too much for what uh, Brooklyn is trying to do? And they actually just turn it around in the second half. New game plan, make it really frustrating for Jokic and company, and pull off a W. I try not to get too over my skis with how you know the feels around this team, and you know, kind of kind of staving off some excitement because you know that when they, you trade Kevin Durant, you trade Kyrie Irving. The expectations around the team change. There's just no other way around it. And yet, since that time, this team, and it was unclear what was going to happen at the time of the trade deadline, this team is just really, really fun to root for. And there's no other way around it. Exceeding expectations by, I would say, miles, based on sort of where the feeling was post-trade deadline. And all of a sudden, they're a team that, you know, are they going to win the championship? No. Are they able to walk in to now we can say just about any floor in the entire NBA to face just about anybody and have it be, and have themselves be in a game, have themselves be able to possibly pull off a win? Yeah, that's where we are right now. This is where we are with the Brooklyn Nets. They have just been able to go in and win some of, the, some of these games. Won five of their last six. We're only four. No, we're five games away from what I already thought was the best win of the year in the massive comeback against the Celtics in that 115 to 105 win, where they just stormed back in the second half, made up a huge deficit, and took out 
the team with the best record <laughs> in the NBA. Oh no, excuse me, I keep screwing that up. They have this, they have the, they're tied for the second best record. It was the one if they'd been able to pull out the Milwaukee game uh, three games ago, then we really would have had the trifecta across the top of the league in terms of knocking off the best teams in basketball. But here's the thing: they've taken now two of the two. Uh, they've taken down two of those three teams in just the last six games. The two of the top three records in the NBA on the road. The Nets have gone in and won those games. It just doesn't happen. Like you are a team that has to be taken seriously if you can do that. Yeah, the ball can bounce any which way in a basketball game. The ball can bounce a million different ways in an NBA season. What it's not easy to do is go in and face the very best teams that are basically full strength and be able to take them. I guess they didn't have Giannis in that game, but the Nets played their bench in that whole one, right? So it's like, what are you going to do? The Nets rolled an entire bench unit and almost pulled off the game in Milwaukee. It is not easy to go into these places against the best teams in the league and be able to pull out Ws. These are actually, in a lot of ways, games that teams that don't have a lot of fight in them can make a lot of excuses early for themselves and just say, hey, this is going to be a tough win. These are going to be really, really tough wins. We're facing the odds-on MVP favorite in Nikola Jokic. We're going into Denver, where the announcers will remind you 500 times before the game, on purpose, how thin the air is and how difficult it is basically to win there is a reason denver was 30 and 5 in home games going into this game against the against the nets they were 30 and 5 30 wins five losses now they're 30 and 6 the nets are only the sixth team all season to be able to go into denver face this team and win that means something that's just it it's not hyperbole it's not overstating it it means something to go in and be able to win these games it means something extra to go in and be down double digits basically at halftime and still be able to storm back and win when they were down, you know, they were down eight at halftime. Um, they were down 69, 61. When you were able to go they were by the way, and on live betting, our friends over at FanDuel, they were plus 10 and a half at halftime of this game. It was basically by the way, you know, money's going in on this thing, basically all but over, right? Again, it makes sense. Denver has Jokic. Denver's a great team. Denver has the best home record in the league. It gets harder and harder with every minute and that mile high air to play. It gets you more tired. Your body's not used to it. It gets tough. There's a reason Denver has an amazing, amazing home record. It's not just because they're good. They have other like geographic advantages that their bodies are just more used to playing at high altitude than their opponents. That's just how it rolls. It's in, you have an advantage when you are on Denver and you play on that team and the other team comes in not used to that. They take all this stuff. It's all piled up against the Nets. And they go out in the second half and just play about as hard fought and good a basketball that they can play in this situation. They have a game plan to be able to frustrate Jokic. We'll talk about that uh, in a second. They see moments where they're able to say, hey, we're going to, we really started to tire Jokic out here and he's leaving the game. We need to really step on it here, which they did. They're able to get just enough key baskets and just enough 50 50 balls late to be able to pull it out. All the things that you basically need to have happen for your team to be able to pull out a win against a team, which by not even objective, not objective standards, is way more talented than Nets. The reason you know that is because Jokic is about as talented as it gets in the entire league. This is a super, super talented team. And to go in and grab this win, it's just a great, great feeling. It's, it really is. It felt like a playoff atmosphere for the Nets. It started feeling like a playoff atmosphere for Denver. You could feel that they were kind of, and they're reeling a little bit. They're coming off a loss, a really bad loss to San Antonio the other day. Uh, so this is a team that desperately needed for their own sake 
to just kind of win, and it looked like they were going to be able to. Nets took out the crowd completely in the second half. They were able to win those non-Jokic minutes. They were able to frustrate and just speed bump Jokic enough, which is saying something because, again, look, Jokic had 35 points, 20 rebounds, and 11 assists, Okay, which is like an obviously MVP line. But let me reiterate, Nikola Jokic had 35 points, 20 rebounds, 11 assists, and the Nets won. And that is the point. They were able to take the best punch from this other team, from the MVP, be able to shut off the valve for everything else that the Nuggets were basically doing, get it after it in all the places that they needed to be able to, and pulled out the win. Really, really cool win. One of the best ones of the year. It's been a really nice stretch for this Brooklyn team. It's been so fun to root for. And we're just kind of keep hoping it goes here. I mean, they're climbing the standings to the point where, hey, we'll have a conversation about this in a minute, where this Nets team can ultimately land in the standings. Also want to talk about the game of Spencer Dinwiddie. Want to talk about Mikhail Bridges and want to talk about what the Nets did that really got probably got under the skin of Denver late in the game. We will talk about all of that in a second. First, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. If you're looking for daily fantasy made easy, all you got to do is head on over to Prize Picks. You're making entries on Prize Picks and it's just you versus their player projections and you're just going more or less on those projections and that's it you pick two to six players you figure out and decide if they're going to score more or less than what prize picks and their projections have put up there and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry you're not competing against other people it's just you versus the projections available and it's really easy it's not just points too you go over for like nba games you go mikhail bridges you know 25 and a half more or less on the points over feel pretty good about that you're over or you're more on the spencer dinwiddie assists got there easily on that one today as well not just nba they're gonna have mlb coming up here pga for the, all the big stuff happening there college basketball obviously we're headed into March Madness there. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up to play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit 100, Prize Picks will give you 100. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you 50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. All right. What did the Nets do? Okay, well, we've got two two separate things that are kind of going on here with this game. You have what the Nets did to frustrate uh, frustrate the Nuggets, and you had what the Nets did to be able to put up 122 points. Uh, they're not mutually exclusive. Obviously, it's all part of the same game, but the Nets were able to drop 122 points on this Denver team and because with this Nuggets team, you have to be able to keep your foot on the gas when you're going up against Jokic because – it's about an, as unstoppable an offensive force as you can have in the game. You cannot let off the gas at all when you play Denver. That's just the way. That's just the way the Nuggets are set up, right? Like they have, they play the second best offensive efficiency in the league this season, behind only Sacramento, which is kind of crazy. But still, um, they are as extremely efficient when they have the ball as any team in the league because they have essentially the most efficient offensive player. I don't know that we've ever seen maybe in basketball in Jokic. So you are going to have to put up points to be able to hang with this team. The Nets were able to do that in a couple different ways. We've seen an increasing um, reliance in recent games on basically Spencer Dinwiddie creating and getting Mikhail Bridges just enough shots and then having and hoping that the role players hit threes. I mean, that's essentially 
what the Nets offense is right now. Like Dinwiddie, if you saw at the end of the Timberwolves game, they're trying to get Dinwiddie into as many different sort of like ISO or pick and roll situations against the other team's weaker defenders that they can. We saw it happen time and time and time again on uh, the last game against the Timberwolves, Timberwolves where they, um, they first of all tried to go after Gobert and then late in the game essentially isolated Kyle Anderson uh, or slow-mo into as many one-on-ones with Dinwiddie as possible for him to either get to the rim or to be able to kick out and then hit threes. A lot of the same principles were used for, by the Nets in this game where it's Dinwiddie on the ball a lot. I know that can be frustrating at times to sort of watch, but even Denver was kind of onto this idea because they even started blitzing him late, late in the game. They were throwing doubles his way. They were trying to get doubles onto him, knowing that he was kind of the only ball handler that the Nets had. They don't really want to run a lot of like ISO stuff or even tons of ball creation with Mikhail Bridges. He will do it from time to time. But for the most part, Dinwiddie has become sort of the offensive driver in a lot of their offensive sets. He was not very efficient, 5 for 15 from the field, 0 for 7. And if you saw that line, you're usually thinking to yourself, oh, they probably got killed. <laughs> like if Dinwiddie shoots 5 for 15 for the field and doesn't hit a three-pointer, it is starting without looking at the final score. It does start to get you wondering like, well, how did, on earth did they make it happen? Because if he was going to be super inefficient and kind of shoot a decent amount of shots, how on earth are they going to end up getting over the hump in terms of the offensive execution. One of the reasons was because the ball movement actually, once he was past the primary defender or had beaten the primary defender, whenever Denver would bring help, they he was able to find open shooters a lot this game. And the Nets were able to knock down the threes. And that is, you know, sometimes it's just, it's a make or miss league. We've heard this a million times. The Nets were able to hit enough threes by the end of it on the offensive end. Dinwiddie finishes with 16 assists, which I haven't looked, but it's got to be like it's got to be his career high. I would think look that up as we're going. He finishes with 16 assists. And though the offensive piece for him on the shot making was a struggle at times, especially when he got into the lane, talk a little bit in a minute about some of those late game sequences where he was getting to the rim. (laughs) Once he got fouled, once he got blocked and once he didn't really get fouled and they overturned the shot, um, but that was kind of the story for his game in terms of shots, except that when he actually made the right reads, which he's able to do a lot of times getting into the paint, that is where the Nets were really able to eat. 16 assists. Ultimately, the Nets shoot 39% from three on 44 attempts. They took 13 more threes than Denver, which again is a very good recipe to trying to beat this team. They're not going to be able to really out offensive you, offense a team like Denver. They're not going to be able to like out talent or outclass them on that end. Just, that's just what's going to happen when you have Simmons. You have to just rain threes against this team, try to get as many open looks as you can, and and hope that they go down. And sometimes it's that simple. I mean, it's more complex than that, but essentially that was the Nets game plan in this one as much as possible, was what have Dinwiddie get past that per, primary defender, get a ball out of his hands if the shot wasn't there, and knock down threes. And the Nets were able to do that and execute it. They were able to bring out just to get just enough of these shots to go down. Royce O'Neal, three for seven from three. Joe Harris, three for six from three. Bridges went three for eight. Dorian Finney Smith, though, five for seven. He's picking the right games to kind of break out a little bit from the shooting funk that he had been in because it can be very hit or miss with DFS from times or from time to time over the last two games. He's seven for 12 from beyond the arc. If he's going to hit threes and teams are going to leave him open for sure. If he's going to hit threes, 
the Nets are going to be in games. And that him hitting threes is one of the specific reasons why the Nets were able to overcome a lackluster shooting game by Dinwiddie because these other guys are knocking them down. And like I said, Joe Harris, three for six, massive, massive three-pointers late in that game too um, to kind of keep their head above water. So on the offensive end, I know at times it can get frustrating to watch this Dinwiddie offensive stuff. Like it's not the most fun version of basketball to watch where it's kind of Dinwiddie controlling the ball a lot, a lot of dribbling, a lot of running down the clock, a lot of just trying to move the chess pieces around a little bit to get him into the defensive matchup that they sort of want. Is it a brand of basketball that's the most pleasing and artistic at times to watch? Definitely not. I I will fully, fully, fully admit that. It can be frustrating uh, to just sort of, you know, you look up and there's seven seconds left on the shot clock and Dinwiddie still has the ball and you're starting to wonder kind of what's happening here. But if they are able to get down to that spot and he's able to either get the shot up or make the right read, if the threes are going to go down, then this is kind of what is going to happen for this team. And that was kind of the story of what they wanted to do. Denver tried to bring blitzes late on it. It was only moderately successful. He was able to break contain a few times on those. And ultimately, this is one of the reasons they were able to win. Another reason was how they attacked Jokic and how they were able to get after on the defensive end. But in this Nets brand of basketball, especially on the offensive side of things, this is kind of what they're doing now. Like This is their offense. Their offense is going to be. Spencer Dinwiddie for a lot of on ball time going to be Mikhail Bridges kind of picking his spots or getting up as many just mid range shots or trying to get to the rim here and there. Cause remember in this game, yeah, I mean, Bridges took 16 shots. It sure didn't feel like 16 shots in this game. If you, if you were watching this game and not watching the, you know, just counting the stats as they went, it, it didn't feel at times like he had even taken this many. And this actually is a few a few fewer shots than he's been taking over the short term. Like he took 24 last game, only had 13 against Milwaukee. But remember, he played 12 minutes, right? 20, 21, 22. This, this game, he was down about you know 25% in his overall shot attempts in this one because the Nets were running a majority of their offense through Dinwiddie. And I think that's something that we just have to get used to. I mean, that seems to be clearly the way they want to attack. It's clearly what Dinwiddie wants to do on the offensive end. It has yielded fine results over the last couple of games because, again, this was their strategy last game against Minnesota as well. And, you know, it's hard to argue with the results. Again, the most fun style of basketball to watch in the offensive end? Most definitely not. Has it been able to turn into some W's against pretty good slash maybe great teams like this one against Denver? Yeah, dude, we'll take the results for sure. Going to talk in a second about what the Nets did defensively, what we saw from how they were sort of able to attack Jokic and just try to speed bump him as much as possible. We'll get to all of that in a second. First, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. The Built March Madness bracket is here. You know you have a favorite bar or puff. It's time to make it count. You're going to go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites over there. You're going to be voting for all of the different flavors that they have in Built Bar. That's because they've made it. They've just made it all about the flavors. So in this case, like it's actually going to be weird to see how they're going to run this one down. You're going to go like the peanut butter. You're going to go cookies and cream, cherry vanilla. Like where are you going to land with your different Built Bars? That's what you're going to be figuring out over at BuiltMarchMadness.com. When you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked-on listeners 
are going to get a free box of Built. That's what you like to hear. Not only that, but one Locked On fan is going to win a 12-month subscription to Built to have uh, Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try Built. The best protein bar ever. They started with the flavors, and that's why voting for this stuff is not going to be actually be easy. This might be coming down to the wire. What makes Built Bars and Puffs so good? Their starters are high in protein, low in sugar, covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. Go to a run, not just go. You got to run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff. Pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March. So hop in and support your pick. BuiltMarchMadness.com. All right, when you beat the Denver Nuggets, you have to do two things. You have to try to stop Nikola Jokic in any way that is possible. You have to win every single minute that Nikola Jokic doesn't play. That is the basically the recipe to be able to beat the Nuggets. Jokic is that good. It's not overstating it. There's a reason he's the odds-on MVP favorite, although this might be taking a little bit of a hit late season with some of the losses uh, that they've put up. And again, Jokic had 35 points. 20 rebounds and 11 assists in this game. And the Nets still won. Jokic was a plus 14 in this game. They got kind of killed the Nets when Jokic was on the court. It, but he, they were essentially uh, minus 16 with him off the court. So the Nets were able to win, you know, crush all the minutes where Jokic wasn't there. And I guess you would say keep their head just above water when it came to the minutes that Jokic was on the court. How do they do it? They went small. I, it's not to go too far down this one because uh, there's lots of different things that they did in terms of the defensive looks, but the Nets, basically they started the game with Dorian Finney-Smith on him. The start of the second half, they moved it over to uh, Nick Claxton, who started it with that assignment. But if you notice the minutes breakdown, or if, obviously if you were watching the game, you saw that Royce O'Neal played more minutes than Nick Claxton when it was all said and done. 29 minutes for O'Neal, 28 for Claxton, and then huge minutes essentially for the rest of the wings, right? Dorian Finney-Smith plays 38. Mikhail Bridges plays 38. Spencer Dinwiddie plays 38. What they tried to do with Jokic was ball deny as much as possible. That's only going to work so much. Like he's going to, he's just huge and he's great at finding every single angle. He's going to get the ball when he wants. You are going to play a somewhat of a game of chicken here with, with him because you have to bring help, especially when you have really, really small defenders on him and bringing help is going to leave open shooters. It's pick your poison time with Denver. There's really nothing, no other way you're going to do it. You know, there's very few single defenders in the league that can stay with Jokic for an entire game. Uh, so you are going to almost always have to bring help. The Nets tried to dig down on him as much as possible. They did try to ball deny where they faced up against them, had a defender in front of them, brought in uh, some, they brought in help from the weak side. They did that a few times. They tried to just clog up the passing lanes and clog up just the lane in general as much as they could it did turn in the nets were able to force 11 steals in this game that was a huge part of this game was the nets were able to force turnovers um ultimately they won the turnover battle 15 to 8 well denver had 15 turnovers the nets had eight the nets were able to generate 11 steals and that really was a huge part of how they were able to ultimately take down this game because they both, both teams basically shot the same, right? Like they both shot about 39% from three. Most of the other stuff was pretty much in line with each other, but the nets were just able to just jam it up a few on uh, just a few too many times on entry passes, a few too many times uh, on balls in the paint, able to pick their pocket a couple times and just try to make it difficult on Jokic every single time he had the ball. 
again, part of that is going small too. It caused spacing problems on the other end of the court uh, for Denver because when they're going to play drop defense with Jokic and then Dinwiddie's going to attack that first defender, this is why you saw the Nets able to get some wide open threes because what you're hoping to have happen when you go small is just be able to frustrate Jokic just enough and hopefully exploit that in the other end of the court where they're not going to be able to close out every single three-pointer. And that is kind of what you have to hope you can do, especially for a team like the Nets, who the Claxton thing wasn't totally working. And it definitely wasn't working all that much on the offensive end uh, with what they were trying to run. So going small here ended up working. I mean, Claxton did have 20 points in this game. Um, but it was clear that from a defensive standpoint, the Jock Vaughn and company wanted to go small here because they knew it was going to create just enough chaos uh, for Jokic on that end of the court, and it did. And ultimately, Jokic was still a plus 14, and the Nets had to win all those non-Jokic minutes uh, and, and really had to fend it off at the end because late game, this got close. I mean, this was definitely nail-biter territory down, uh, down to close. It really probably could have gone either way. Obviously, Denver missed a couple key sort of end-of-the-clock or end-of-the-game shots. None of them were amazing looks. Um, you know, specifically their last shot of the game that Jokic like sort of like long to fade away was not a great look. Uh, Brooklyn was able to defend just well enough in that situation to make it so they didn't have uh, an amazing look. And they probably got a little lucky or maybe got a lot lucky that Jamal Murray got hurt in this game and wasn't able to return. That definitely, you know, took a big piece of their, a big chunk of talent off the court uh, where they end up having to play Christian Braun. Um, late game uh, over Jamal Murray. That's always going to be a win. We never root for injuries, obviously not rooting for Jamal Murray to get hurt, but it happened and that definitely benefited the Nets ultimately. But the uh, Denver really was storming back in this game. It looked like they had some momentum going their way. Nets were able to hit just enough shots late, just enough just to kind of keep their head above water. And look, that's in the end, this is what you have to be able to do to be able to beat this team. A really real, I can't overstate this enough, folks. Like I, I kind of said at the beginning of the, of the podcast that if this kind of felt like playoff atmosphere time, like this feels like what the Nets are current, trying to start to put together. Yeah, where they were winning double digits in the fourth quarter, double digit leads against a team like Jokic can disappear quickly. By the way, they did disappear pretty quickly when he got back in the game. But when they have a, you have a team like this in the Nets that has a lot of scrap and a lot of fight to them, that definitely feels like at this point they are in every single game and can take the best punch from almost every team. And I really believe the Nets feel like that at this point. I feel like the Nets are staring. I think they're. I, it would feel like they're in a situation where they feel like, one, nobody really kind of believes in this team, right? They traded away all the best players. They traded Kevin Durant. They traded Kyrie Irving. The team was kind of just, you know, in the seemingly in the wilderness, at least for this year, right? Like, oh, they got some draft picks. They got some nice players. Mikhail Bridges, nice player. Not Nothing's going to happen this year. Like, that was kind of the, the talk around this team, for sure. And that's right. Like, it should be talked about that way. I don't think anyone, the expect, it's not like the expectations were massively high. But I think this team, and you've seen it this in this recent run, this team kind of knows that to be the case. They know it in the that the expectations are sort of maybe low for this team. And I think they're just they're using that in, to their advantage to say, we're not going to give up. We're going to play shorter rotations. 
every other team, we're going to make it very, very difficult on you with our length. We're just going to be really annoying, right? We're going to throw doubles at the right guys. We're going to, you're going to go up against these wing defenders that just kind of never give up. Yeah. Are they completely outsized in a lot of these matches or a lot of these games matchups? Of course they are. And they're getting killed on the boards killed. I think at one point they were on pace to be out rebounded in this game, like 60 to 14 or something like that. They ended up being able to just like, scrape some of the boards back together they still got completely out rebounded they were out rebounded at 49 to 28 believe me the spread on that was much 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 worse earlier in the game so they're undersized they're undermanned on offense they're undermanned when it comes to overall nba talent and yet here we are with them beating some really really good teams right now they sit fifth in the east and as as i'm podcasting Cleveland and uh, Charlotte are locked into a kind of a nail biter where they could, there's a scenario where if Charlotte can hold them off, the Nets are going to be only a game and a half out of the fourth seat, which feels absolutely bonkers. <laughs> like to think about this team and who knows what's going to happen. Who knows what's going to happen down the stretch? Who knows, you know, how these last games finish. But if the Nets are going to be in a scenario where they could be a game or a game and a half out of the fourth seat with Cleveland, to even be in that scenario, judging by where they had been and the talent they have, all it is is a testament to how hard this team is working, how adjustments that they're making late game with Vaughn and company are working, how they are you know, solidifying a rotation that they feel comfortable with at this point. And they're staring across the court at some of these teams and be like, dude, we can beat you. <laughs> and guess what? They're doing it. And that's really all there is to it. Really, really cool win. Going to hang out here in YouTube live for a little. I've got a ton of people in YouTube live. Really, really appreciate everyone that's jumped in. Uh, you know, these big wins. This is when everyone wants to mix it up, and I totally get it. I'll stick around in YouTube live, answer a bunch of questions. Um, we'll kind of chop it up here for a little while because these are the wins you want to do it for, right? Like these are the games that you want to get in there, get into Nets Nation, and just kind of, yeah, front run a little bit, baby. And this is what wins like that do. If you are over on the podcast feed, make sure you subscribe. Over on YouTube, that is where all this extra stuff is happening. We are pushing, we're going to get to 6,000 YouTube followers before it's all said and done, before the end of the season. I think we're going to get there. You can be part of it. Go subscribe to Locked on Nets over on YouTube. We get to the end of the podcast. So we always remember that we always end these podcasts. If you've been listening for a while, you know, we end them with quotes from the great American poets. That's always Adam's job. No Adam Armbrecht today. It's all right. Adam Armbrecht, one of the great American poets. We will be back. Again, tomorrow, talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.